Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Just having business data isn't enough, but ZoomInfo leverages that data to unlock useful insights, like who to reach and how to reach them, so you can grow your business. Unlock insights at zoominfo.com. ZoomInfo, how business goes to market. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Rider. I am Damon Martin. He is UFC legend Matt Brown. And Matt, we are back after another big UFC pay-per-view. We have two new champions in the UFC now. Dude, what a great card, huh? What a great night of fights. All five main card fights ended in a finish. You can't beat that. Yeah, you cannot beat that. How did that happen? Rare. Very rare. And and it was and all good too. Like all good fights. Yeah, the only one I wasn't overly impressed with. Well, Andrade impressed me, but Mackenzie Dern <laughs> looked so fucking terrible. And I love Mackenzie Dern. Like I absolutely love I love her jujitsu watching her fight. But my God, her stand up just looked Oh, man, I can't even describe how bad it looked. I I love Mackenzie Dern, but holy shit, that was bad. She regressed. Like, she regressed. Like, if you go back and watch her last couple of fights before that, she didn't look that bad on the feed. Like, she didn't look great. She's never been, like, an incredible striker, but I don't think anyone expected her to be a great striker. But she regressed. Like, she – and I know she switched coaches. Like, Jason Perillo wasn't there working with her anymore. But, man – she needs to give him a call and be like, dude, you come back, please. Like, is there anything we can do here to get you back? Because this was, that was just not, the striking was, was not good. It, it was, it was bad com- compared to where she was even like a year ago. Or I know a guy in Columbus, Ohio, that could teach her. There you go. Come out to Columbus, Ohio, learn something. She's a big beach girl. though. I know that she loves the beach. There ain't no beaches here in Ohio. I'll tell you that much for sure. Yeah, well, that's how, you know, that's one of those things. I'm not trying to necessarily convince her to go come here or whatever, but, but look, like you got to get away from the comforts of life when you getting ready for a camp, you know, I see people like her, um, that, that train that way. And they think that, or they think that way, you know, I like being next to the beach and that's where I want to have my training camp. It's like, it's like, no, you got to go through hell in training camp. That's why I actually love what Tony Ferguson is doing, even though I'm not a big Goggins fan at all. I'm actually, one of the few people, especially like hard ass people, that's just not a fan of him. But I love that Tony Ferguson is doing that. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I mean, I guess that's kind of the point of training, especially when you're getting ready for a fight. Is you can't be in your comfort zone, right? Like that's kind of the opposite of what you want. You want to be out of your comfort zone. You want people to push you beyond your boundaries to get ready for a fight, especially when you're getting ready for a savage like Jessica Andrade. Yeah, well, people, I don't know why a lot of these fighters they don't think this way i think like when i get ready for a fight or at least you know i've had my best performances like my mindset was literally 24 hours of training 
And that doesn't mean in the gym sweating 24 hours, but all 24 hours of the day are dedicated towards this fight. When, like when I went on that seven fight win streak and I was getting close to the title, there wasn't a second that my mind wasn't focused on that fight. Like there was the thought of a beach was so foreign to me that I, I couldn't even, I had zero desire for that. So it just, it blows my mind that pe people kind of think that way where it's like, you know, when you go in there, um, you know, do you want to have even an inkling of thought that there was something more that you could have done? You know, like, like, why would you want to feel that way? Like there should be no logical reasoning whatsoever as to how this person could possibly have given more than you. Yeah. It was weird too, because when McKenzie went out there, she got that head, she got that headlock takedown right away. And then she just kind of went away from her grappling and then wow. just started kind of winging punches, and it was just like a really weird performance. And I know, listen, I do want to give, I do want to give, I, you know, both of them. And this is also for Jessica. Like Jessica talked about it very openly before the fight. Obviously, she had lost three in a row, and she's going through a divorce. Mackenzie had a very ugly situation with her ex, going through a divorce, and all kinds of bad stuff going on there. And I always show a little bit of sympathy for that because when we talk about fighters. You know, we always talk about you guys as the toughest people in the world, and you are. Like, that's why I admire fighters so much. But you have lives, too. Like, you have real lives that get in the way of, like, training and your mind being right. And I would imagine divorce sucks. Like, there's no easy way to get around that. Now, credit to Jessica Andrade, she did. But I'm saying, like, it's. I'm sure it's never easy. Yeah, I went through a divorce. I know what, what that is. So I, I get what they're going through. But that's no excuse. You know, you go in there and... um you get your 15 minutes and you know you just have to get your mind on that you can't let other things uh, uh infiltrate your mind that's all there is to it and not saying that i did any better than anyone else but you know i learned that lesson from that but that here's what i i want to ask all female fighters to do one thing for me and i'm i'm i might even ask that you make this the headline all female fighters please stop with the fucking head arm throws is <laughs> <laughs> fucking garbage unless you are like a, an expert at it, but then you still don't even land in a great position. Like if you're Mark Coleman, that's a great position because you know, you you're fucking UFC 12 and you know, with Dan Severn, right? Like, you know, cause you could, you could break a fucking bowling ball right there. You know, he's so strong, right? <laughs> But get the fuck out of here with these goddamn head arm throws. Stop it. <laughs> That's funny. I, you know, it's funny. That that comment gets made a lot with uh, with those fights, with women's fights a lot, is the head and arm throw. It's so bizarre. And unless you're like Ronda Rousey, who is a judo expert, you know, like, you know, the way that they throw people, and that's not even a head and arm throw. It's a different kind of throw. They have an actual technical name for it, but uh, like a hip throw. But, you know what I mean? That's different than grabbing the head and literally throwing them. Like, it looks impressive for about two seconds, and then you realize you just gave up your back. Like, it's... If you even hit it, like you might just, you might not even, uh, uh, you might not even get them to the ground and you just gave up your back. Yeah. It, it's just a terrible technique, uh, except for the, don't get me wrong. There are, I have, there's a guy I used to train with who could hit it on everybody. You know what I mean? Like it's his thing. It's the same for these guys that are going for guillotines. It's like, if that's your thing, it, it makes sense to go for it, but don't be jumping for guillotines. If you're not a, 
jujitsu black belt that hits guillotines on people all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's um yeah, I agree. I mean that I that is a common thing and I have seen it and it usually do, never works. Like the only time it ever works is when the other person doesn't know what to do to get out of it, which you should know how to do when you get to the UFC, I would hope. Um yeah, well, it's weird not to do the technique by the time you get to the UFC and, the, <sighs> and I don't know where like where who are these guys coaches? Like like yeah. who's not yelling at McKenzie Dirt like stop with the fucking head arm throw. <laughs> Have we have we reached like in all seriousness when it comes to Mackenzie Dern? Because I like Mackenzie very much. Like I, I've talked to her, interviewed her many, many times. She's a super nice person, incredibly talented fighter, and obviously a world class jujitsu person. But have we reached the ceiling with where she's going to go? Like she's three, two and three in her last five. She's you know flip flop between wins and losses. She's thirty. So we can't sit here and say she's young, you know, she's got, you know, she's still got a lot of room to grow. Like she's been in the top 10 for a while now and, you know, she's two and three in her last five, all these kinds. Like, have we reached the ceiling with Mackenzie Dern? Like not saying that when I say ceiling, I mean like she's a good top 10 fighter, but she's never going to be like the number one, number two type person. Like, are we, have we reached the ceiling with Mackenzie? I think it's up to her. I think she has a long way she can go still. I think she can get her stand up in order. I think she has the athleticism, um, but it's up to her whether she's going to commit to it, dedicate to it, um, commit to winning that battle. Um, you know, obviously, like she needs her stand up and her wrestling game together. She has the jujitsu. Uh, she needs to maintain that and you know keep making small improvements there. But her obviously, like for her to get to the top level, it, it's up to her if she decides to improve her. Um, her stand up in a wrestling it's just going to be up to her i think she has the potential to do it it's just a matter of whether her and her team put in the work to do it and i think she can i mean she's so talented i think that's the frustrating part about it because she is incredibly talented we have seen her evolve and progress a little bit like she got better in her striking like when she fought angela hill she looked better in that fight but then this one she comes out there and she looked like she had never struck before in her life. Like she's out there just winging punches with Jessica Andrade, which is like the worst possible game plan you can have yeah. against that little savage. Like, you know what I mean? It just seemed like a really odd way to approach it. And she had that one again. I know you hate the head and arm, but she had that one takedown early and then she kind of just abandoned it. Like she didn't really go for the takedown again. And if you're like, if there's one, if there's one thing I find frustrating about a lot of high, really high level jujitsu people is that they don't know how to wrestle. Because if yeah. you could know how to wrestle and you combine that with your jiu-jitsu, you're going to be pretty hard to stop. Like, that's why I always commended Jake Shields, because Jake Shields wrestled first, and then he did his jiu-jitsu. Like, he didn't go in there trying to grab guard and, you know, do things like that. He would wrestle you to the ground, and then he would start applying his jiu-jitsu. And obviously, you see that now there are jiu-jitsu guys out there who do that, but I'm talking about the MMA level. Like, that, if you're, if you're a high-level grappler your next move should be learning how to do a fucking double leg. Like you need to, like, you need to know how like to do Gilbert, that. Like Gilbert Burns is a great example, like uh, of a guy that's done that very well. And, you know, to be fair, I remember they mentioned that on the, 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 on, on during the, the play by play to Joe Rogan or, or Bisping or whoever was talking, mentioned the Angela Hill fight and how she looked better. And that one, but to be fair, like Andrade and Angela Hill are two very different stand up fighters. And and I think it really threw um, um, Mackenzie Dern off, you know, the sturdiness and the power coming from Andrade. 
Whereas Angela Hill probably didn't throw her off quite as much. I don't remember that fight very well, but it probably didn't throw her off quite as much, right? Like Angela Hill is, you know, a, a more of a technical striker, whereas Andrade is just going to stand there, you know, with strong posture, good structure, and she's going to hit you with something with a fucking brick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's just like she's the old school shoot to box fighter. You know, she just comes forward yeah. and throws throws until one of you falls over. So I know you already kind of like let's <laughs> all jokes aside. Like I'll talk about the head and arm show, but in all reality, what is your advice to Mackenzie Dern? If you're trying to get her to become a better fighter, a more complete fighter, what would your advice to her be as a coach? Because obviously you are a coach, and again, I'm not pitching necessarily pitching her on working with you, maybe, but you know, like because there's got there's got to be like. Because she's so talented. Like, I think that's the frustrating part. She is incredibly oh. talented. We know that there's, like, there is the bones of what could be a championship-level fighter. But when I say if we hit the ceiling, I just don't know that she's really reached that. Like, if she, has she reached that level in her own preparation? Right. I mean, the advice is simple. I think you could probably even give her the advice, right? Like, like you know, do a lot of wrestling, <laughs> do a lot of striking, and – I think I would say, you know, do some strength training tr too, you know, like she's really real. I, th I think she should focus on getting like stronger. She's very like hyper mobile, you know, and that can be a little bit detrimental. I think if she likes actually stiffens up a little bit, builds that structure and that foundation a little bit stronger. And then, you know, all are, or at the same time, you know, build that um, striking and the wrestling, it's all going to come together with having that structure. Th those two things are going to improve dramatically because she was just a, a lot of like, like you said, like kind of flailing. And a lot of that is just, you know, that uh, it's hard to control when you're that uh, flexible and that hyper mobile. Yeah, it's weird because like we it's been a long time since we've had like we've had guys and girls who are Brazil who have brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts become champions but it's been forever since a high level grappler has come in and become a champion like gilbert burns is probably the closest like he is a world-class high-level grappler and he almost became champion in the welterweight division but by and large jiu-jitsu people have not had that level of success like gary tonin made it to a title fight and won championship he got knocked out by ton lee uh you know we've seen damian maya oh, who's Car, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, for years, Damian Maya was the guy, you know what I mean? And, like, he just never quite got to that level because when he got to that level, guys like Tyron Woodley would just shut him down. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's Charles just... Charles Oliveira is, is uh, probably the highest one. But Charles Oliveira wasn't a... He's a he's a black belt. He's not, like, the guy who went out and won ADCC or anything. Like, he's not, like, that level. Yeah. He's a he's a he's a incredibly high-level grappler in MMA. He's adapted his grappling for MMA. That's why he's so dangerous in MMA with it. The high-level grapplers who were high-level grapplers before they got to MMA, it's been a long time since we've seen one of those guys or girls comes in and just, you know, gets to that level. Like, there's been a couple who've gotten to a title, but, again, like, rarely gotten to And I think... My opinion, and I'm sure the jujitsu community will come from my throat when I say this, but my opinion is is that they're even when they even when they train other things, they're not becoming masters in other elements. And if you're a master in jujitsu, I'm not saying you're going to become a master in wrestling and a master in uh, striking, but you should be able to learn enough to get better at those because there's because you always got to have a plan B. You always got to have a yeah. plan B. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, Matt, you go in there, you knock people the hell out. Like, that's what you do. But you people, you put people in submission. You can wrestle people when you need to. 
you may be known as a knockout artist, but you have to have a plan B because it's not always going to work out for you. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is, well, I don't know at my gym, for instance, like we don't have, well, we have uh, two day only two days a week. We have a, what we call a jujitsu class, which is with the gi. The other days are grappling, right? So if you think like these, I think a lot of these guys that come from jujitsu think of um, the grappling arts is like jujitsu is the superior art, but in MMA, it means nothing without the wrestling. It's really the same art, right? It's all grappling, but you have that you got to have um, the full spectrum of grappling. And that's why the wrestlers do so well, right? Because they pick up the jujitsu. They recognize that as a, a necessary skill to pick up. It seems that the jujitsu guys, you know, something in their mentality doesn't make them want to, they think they just need to learn striking, right? So then they're, now they're doing Muay Thai and jujitsu or boxing and jujitsu, whereas they need to learn the, they, they need to expand their repertoire of grappling. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And like I said, I, I love Mackenzie Dern. I hope she finds all the success in the world. I do appreciate what you said about the divorce thing. I get that. I understand that like everyone has issues you're dealing with and you got to, you know, you, I mean, I said the same thing. I know it's not divorce, but I said the same thing with when you talk about Volkanovski to Usman and the guys and the girls who take short notice fights. I always say you should never condemn a fighter for not taking a short notice fight, but you can celebrate them when they do. But once you step in there, once you accept that challenge, you step in that octagon, you can't use it as an excuse afterwards. That's it. You know, you can't step, well, I took it on 12, well, then don't take it on 12 days. If you're going to say, I, I shouldn't have taken it on 12 days notice, then don't take it. You know what I mean? Once you get in there, all excuses got to go out the window. Yeah, yeah. And I understand also where it's a little complicated, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if it, I don't remember if it was Andrade or Mackenzie Dern, but it sounded like, you know, a, a big part of their motivation was they were paying for the divorce by <laughs> fighting. Yeah. And, you know, so that gets a little bit complex, right? Like they're... Yeah, they're signing on the dotted line, but their motivation isn't necessarily what it should be either. They're 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 walking in for the wrong reasons. And maybe that played a big part or maybe not. I don't know. But I am a big believer that, yeah, once you sign on the dotted lines, you have to forget about everything else in life. And and that's when you know you got to get away from the beach. You got to get away from the comforts in life. You got to go put yourself through hell and be prepared for a fucking war, especially when, you know, you're at that level. I mean, you have to be ready for anything. You have to be a thousand percent committed to victory, not to just going in and hoping your jujitsu works or hoping that you knock them out of what you, you have to be a hundred percent committed to victory and victory only. Absolutely. And, and again, all the other stuff, you gotta you gotta wipe that away when you step in there because that kind of distraction will absolutely if you're fighting if you're fighting for the wrong reason, like oh man, I mean I know it sounds terrible to say it this way, but like oh man, my ex is gonna take half my paycheck, so I gotta win, so I make double paycheck. That's not the that's not necessarily gonna lead you to victory in that in that mindset. You know what I mean? Like that's uh, it. That's it. You know what? That it, just speaking from my own experience, getting a little personal. When I went through my divorce, that was right after I had retired. Right. What a coincidence. But, uh, you know, when I came back to fight, you know, there was a little bit of, you know, let's fight so we can pay for this divorce. There was a, a piece of that in there. But also I took those lessons um, from fighting. Right. Because, OK, 
let me go back. So the, the divorce, I was like, okay, I'm going to get through this somehow. This is miserable. This fucking sucks. Right. You know? And, but then as soon as I signed on that dotted line, I said, okay, I'm committed to winning this fight. And that sparked my mentality of, okay, I'm committed to winning this fight and winning in life and winning the divorce and winning in every fucking thing that I do. And that's where, you know, when you, it made me think about it because you brought up Volkanovsky and sort of having that purpose and everything. And that for me, like that brought me that purpose. And I hope it did that um, for those ladies. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, talking about the other fights, of course, the other two big ones we want to get into, of course, Tom Aspinall goes out there. Incredible performance, knocking out Sergey Pavlovich. Crazy fight, last 69 seconds. There's not really a whole lot to talk about. Sergey landed a punch early, looked like maybe he wobbled Tom. Tom didn't get Tom bounced back rather quickly, and then he clipped Sergey and put him down and out. I did think, and please, again, you're the fighter, Matt. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I felt like maybe Sergey got a little overconfident after he clubbed him one time, and it looked like he maybe had wobbled him, and he got a little too crazy. It reminded me, you know, what it reminded me of it reminded me of the uh, Stipe Francis and Ganu rematch when Stipe hit Francis clean in that second round and then he just went wild and then francis caught him and knocked him out it kind of reminded me of that a little bit where sergey hit him and and tom i i tom i don't know if tom acknowledged it i didn't i didn't listen to his entire post-fight interview but like he looked wobbled for a second and then i think sergey just went after him and then you know we saw what happened that you know and tom got him and put him down and man incredible win i mean 69 seconds there's not really a whole lot to say Right, right. No, I think you called a perfect. I think it, it gave Sergey a surge of confidence. It, you know, you walk in there, you know, less than two minutes into the fight, and you're fresh, you're feeling great. Um, you you walk into these fights with all these questions in your mind: How's it going to go? Um, you know, some people have like a little bit of doubt about their confidence or how they feel. You know, maybe you know you make this guy out to be this big monster, and then you go in there and clock him, and you hurt him, and you're like, oh this is going to be easy, you know, like, like, like I got this right. And now your confidence goes a little bit towards the other side of the line where it shouldn't go. And <laughs> I think I've seen a little bit of that with Sergey, but, but, you know, uh, on that same token, I don't want to take a damn thing away from Tom Aspinall because you know what? Sergey could have been confident, could have been feeling good, could have rocked him. Tom Aspinall played his cards perfectly. He recovered. He set his feet and he fucking, <laughs> man, it shocked the hell out of me. I did not expect him to put Sergey down like that. Yeah. I feel like this is one of those fights that I feel like we may see again one day because I, I don't know. There's a lot of people who are going to be able to survive with Sergey on the feet in the, in the heavyweight division. And Tom, I think Tom is 30. So he's still a fairly young guy for that division. Like, I don't know. There's gonna be a lot of people beating him either. So I feel like this is one we could see down the road. You know, maybe it's a year from now, maybe it's a year and a half from now, but I feel like this is one we will see again. Has uh surreal gone fought Tom Aspinall? He is not. He's not for either of them, actually. I didn't think so. That that to me is a interesting fight matchup wise. Like we all know what Surreal's weakness is, right? He can be taken down and he can be beat on the ground, but on the feet, he causes everybody problems. So if either one of those matchups, he's the guy that kind of I think kind of the dark horse there. It's a matter of whether he can uh, get himself a title shot. 
I think I liked what Tom said afterwards that Cyril should fight Jelton Almeida because Jelton Almeida is obviously an incredible. I mean, I right after Jelton Almeida won his fight, which we talked about last week, which was a weird one where he won, but somehow I think his stock went down a little bit because of his performance. Uh, I said he should fight Curtis Blades because Curtis is such an incredible wrestler. You're not going to be able. To, your chances are you're not going to be able to go out there and grind Curtis Blades in a wrestling match like that. Like, you're just not. You're going to have to show your other weapons. But that being said, I don't have a problem with him fighting Cyril Gone because. If Jelton Almeida beats Cyril Gaon, he's a legitimate contender. If Cyril Gaon can beat Jelton Almeida, he's a legitimate contender. And he has to go through a guy who you got to know is going out there to take you down, put you on your back, and beat you up or submit you. And Cyril Gaon's weakness is what? It's grappling. It's getting taken down and getting submitted or beaten up on his back. So uh, I think that actually is kind of a perfect matchup because we got to be honest, Matt, like afterwards – you know, Tom is saying, you know, my dream is to fight John Jones. That's my, you know, my legacy fight. I love John Jones. Tom, here, you offered advice to Mackenzie Dern. Can I offer some advice to Tom Aspinall right now? Tom, let it go. You're not going to fight John Jones. He ain't going to fight you. John's going to fight Stipe and then probably right off into the sunset. And if Stipe wins, he's going to beat John Jones. He's going to ride. He's going to ride off in the sunset. I love you, buddy. You're not getting to fight John Jones. Just get that out of your head right now. You might as well just go ahead and start thinking about Jelton Almeida, Cyril Gaon, Curtis Blades, whoever else is out there, because you're not getting John. It, it, there's a slim, slim chance you get John Jones if he goes out there and beats Stipe. But even that, I think it's still slim. The only thing is if Jelton Almeida and Cyril Gaon – if that fight is made, if I'm Dana White, I have a hard time making that fight because we've seen, you know, Derek Lewis and and Surreal gone. Neither one of them have a superior ground game, right? Maybe I don't know what all they do have on the ground. Um, and Jelton, I made have made that about the most boring fight we've <laughs> ever seen in the past ten years. Is he going to go out and do that exact same thing to Surreal gone? That's, I think, where the odds are, right? Yeah. Like, that's where I'm putting my money. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, listen, if you're surreal gone, you got to prove it. Like, you got to – maybe he fights Curtis Blaze, but you got to prove you can go with a wrestler and a grappler. Like, you can't continue to sure. just skate by on your sure. striking. I'm saying, he's a, I'm saying he's if, an, you're, if you're Dana White, are you excited yeah. to make that fight? I mean, listen, to, to, and, you know, while I did give Jelton a hard time for his win last week, I mean, it was a dominant win, and, and you know, he was supposed to fight Curtis Blades. He got he got Derek Lewis instead, and maybe he just took the path of least resistance. It's just the path of least resistance was incredibly boring. Uh, so, you know, but, I mean, listen, Sorogon's gotten two titles. He's gotten three title shots now, technically. He had the interim title fight with, with you know, with – Derek Lewis, which he won, and then he lost to he lost to Francis, and he lost to John. To get a third title shot, I don't care who the champion is, whether it's Tom Aspinall or whoever it is, you got to earn it. And he beat I, whoever he beat the last time. I don't care who he beat. Uh, Sergey Spivak was that who he fought? I can't remember. I think that was it, right? right. Uh, and and I mean, come on, like, dude, you got to beat you got to beat Curtis Blades, you got to beat Jelton Almeida, you got to beat one of these top guys yeah. to get back to a third title shot, or maybe maybe fight Sergey, like Sergey coming back, maybe I, fight Sergey. I get that. I'm just saying from a, a UFC promoter standpoint, Dana White, like, are you really excited to make that fight? Like, you know, the likelihood of Jelton Almeida doing another five rounds that he did to Derek Lewis is pretty high. 
it is. But here's what I will say. Tom Aspinall is also an incredibly good grappler. He's shown that throughout his UFC career. He's actually a pretty high-level grappler in that way. Oh, yeah, that's why and, I was, him and Tom make for a great fight. I'm that's why about, I said it's – well, no, that's what I'm saying. No, that's what I'm saying about about uh, Jelton. Like, if Jelton beats Cyril Gaon, then Jelton and, and Tom Aspinall is a pretty damn good fight. Like, that's a pretty compelling matchup yeah. because – Hell yeah, I don't, it is. So, you know, maybe he just goes out. Because, again, if Cyril gone in a weird way, like I'm going all the way back, right? Like in a weird way, he's a little bit in the Mackenzie Dern situation. Can he get better enough in his grappling and his and his yeah. wrestling to actually survive against the best guys in the division? I don't know yet because the two times he's fought a guy who could outgrapple him, he got outgrappled badly. <laughs> you know, it wasn't even close. Um so, you know, like I said, I mean, if you can't, if you, do, if you get taken down and grinded on for five rounds by Jelton Almeida, you probably shouldn't fight for the title. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm just saying if, you, you know, if they make a, a main event, it has to be a main event, right? It's a heavyweight title contender match. It's got to yeah. be five rounds. You know, I guess, like we always say, like deserve isn't really the, in the vocabulary here. Jelton Almeida probably deserves that fight. Yeah, no, but, he does. But does Dana want to make that fight? You know, like where where do you put you put it on Fight Pass? Like <laughs> that's like, a hey, guys, that's a. See, what's funny is watching. what's funny is that's a different answer two weeks ago. You know what I mean? Last week, you know, two yeah. weeks ago, I said Jelton, I made him, man. That guy's the dude. Then he goes out and yeah. has a dare. I told you the Derek Lewis fight dropped his stock. He won. He won a fifty forty four decision. His stock dropped somehow yeah. because of that so performance. This, yeah, this is this is my point. This is my point. It kind of dropped his stock. So it's like. How do you even put it? Are, are you excited to put him on any main event, even against Curtis Blades, who can probably wrestle with him? Yeah, you're absolutely no, you're 110% right. And I mean, look, 69 seconds is a blistering quick fight, but how much fun was it to see Sergey and Tom just go out there and throw down? You know what I mean? Are you going to yeah. ever have that kind of fight from Jelton Almeida? I mean, now you got to question that. So, not say he has <laughs> right. to go out, not say he has to go out and like knock people. I'm saying like, you know, he'd be dominant on the ground. You can go out and ground and pound the hell out of somebody. Like, just making an exciting fight. Now we have that question. Like, can you do that after what happened with the Derek Lewis fight? Like, you were obviously undersized, and the guy had 30 pounds on you. Your path to victory wasn't like a bad strategy, but your strategy should have involved maybe, I don't know, throwing some punches on the ground, like something. <laughs> right, like, right. And I, I don't hate John Almeida for doing it. I respect it. I, I'm i a purist of the, the sport, right? Like, I think that, you know, laying, I hate stand-ups. I hate, you know, referees getting involved in it. I don't like none of that stuff. You know, hell, I don't even think there should be rounds. I, I think that fight should have went on for an hour for of Derek Lewis on the bottom. <laughs> but, but it's entertainment and Dana White, and UFC and company, they are here for entertainment purposes and they want to sell pay-per-views. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know that. Um, and I, as I said, like, you know, I appreciate Tom Aspinall wanting John Jones, but Dana doubled down last night. It's going to be John and Stipe next year, probably going to end up being international fight week. Um, I've moved on. I listen, it's still a fun fight. It's still a massive fight for the UFC. I, you know, you know, my opinion on Stipe, you know, my opinion on Jones. I think Jones is the greatest of all time. I think Stipe is the best heavyweight of all time. I have no problem with them sitting around and waiting to fight each other. And the division could just move on after that. Tom Aspinall has the interim title. He can defend it or he can wait and then just, you know, fight somebody else. Because, I mean, that's what Robert Whitaker did when Bisping was champion. He fought George St. Pierre. George St. Pierre basically retired and he fought uh, Yoel Romero and then he fought whoever else like that's the division will just move on. 
Uh, I love, like, listen, would Tom Aspinall, John Jones be a fun fight? Sure. But, I think it would. But John Jones, John Jones is at the level now where he's just like, he doesn't need that fight. Like, are we going to question John Jones' legacy because he never fights Tom Aspinall? Like, no. Like, right. you know what I mean? He's done everything he needs to do to create a legacy for himself. As, in my opinion, the greatest fighter of all time. Beating Stipe Miocic, it does mean something because Stipe is you know, the greatest heavyweight of all time. And it's a big name. Uh, I think that was the problem. John ran into a light heavyweight when he just started fighting Tiago Santos and Anthony Smith and uh, Dominic Reyes. And it's just like one guy after the other. And I just think he kind of lost interest. Yeah, I agree. And I would love, I hope that John Jones gets his fire back under him. Um, I, he might be too old for too much money. He already done too much, whatever. And I get that. I, for one, I hope that he gets motivated and wants to come back and fight uh, Tom Aspinall. I really want to see that fight now. I mean, I think it's a tremendous fight. I'm just, I'm just being realistic and saying it's probably never going to happen. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, you know, it's like, it's like when, uh, you know, back in the day when like Fedor became a free agent, I was like, yeah, we're probably never going to see him in the UFC. Like, it's just, there's just those two sides are like oil and water. Like, it's never going to work out. And like, I would love to get excited about it, but I'm just being realistic. That's why I said my advice to Tom Maspinall is just move on, start thinking about Cyril Gon, start thinking about Sergey Pavlov or, uh, or, um, uh, Jelton Almeida or somebody else because, the John Jones thing is like a fantasy and, and at best, at best, you're going to be waiting until the end of next year because Steve is still going to get the first crack at John next year, probably in like July. So you ain't going to fight anybody if you wait around for that until like November, December. So you might as well just go ahead and move on. Well, that's my question is who does he fight in the meantime? Well, I mean, I think I think Cyril and Jelton in a perfect world, that is the matchup to make because, again, like as boring as that fight was, he did beat, you know, he is undefeated in the UFC. He does seem like a legitimate contender. And, you know, Curtis is coming off the loss to Sergey Pavlovich. There's not really another guy out there. Tai Tuivas has lost several in a row. Um, so, yeah, I think you do Jelton and Cyril early next year. And then the winner gets Tom. Maybe you do. Maybe you do Tom versus the winner is like the interim title fight to def- you know, defend the interim title on the same card as Stipe and Jones. And you try to maybe, maybe, maybe you coax, you know, Jones to stick around or something. I don't know. Yeah. Th- I mean, those are the only two guys, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. And then did you hear the comments afterwards with Dana when somebody asked him about co-promoting with the PFL to make the Francis yeah, and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had a Listen. Let me be clear about this, Matt. Like, as a fan, as a pure fan, I would love to see Francis Ngannou and John Jones fight. I would. I've always wanted to see that fight. When from the first time that John Jones, from the first time that Francis mentioned it, and John Jones like basically said, "Yeah, let's do it," I was like, "Ooh, man, I'm way into that." Two years later, three or whatever, however long it's been, three years later, whatever it is, he's in the P- Francis is in the PFL right now. You can disagree with Dana all you want and dislike some of the things that Dana says. That's fine. But he's not wrong when he says that what reason would I have to co-promote? The UFC is making record revenue year over year, quarter over quarter, making boatloads. Right. Of, they're the only, Matt, they are the only profitable mixed martial arts organization. Okay, they are. They're the only ones actually making money. Like It's one thing to make money and you have investors giving you more money. It's one. It's another thing to actually be in the. Is it the red or the black? You're in the black. Like you're in the black. You're making money. You know what I mean. You're not. You're not funding yourself by what people are donating to. You're investing in you. They are the only profitable mixed martial arts. When they do their, they do their 
financials in the year. They're not saying we lost $300 million. They're not saying we lost $200 million. They are making $300 million a quarter. Uh, I understand Francis and John is a big fight, but it's not the biggest. I mean, Connor's coming back in a few months. That's going to be way bigger than, than Jones and, and Francis. Francis, I love Francis, but if they did a co-promotion with Francis, it's all for Francis. Like they don't really get a lot out of it. Like they, you know what I mean? Like the PFL gets a lot out of it. What does the UFC get out of it? Yeah. hundred percent. And realistically, they're the A side on every part of that deal. You know? So uh, even, even Francis and John, like people, people have short memories, like not a, like Tyson and Francis didn't even sell that much. Yeah. Right. Like, you see the numbers, like they had low, very, very low uh, pay-per-view sales from what I've understood. Like, Francis is not a pay-per-view draw. Like like Tyson probably sold all of those. Yeah. You know, like Francis is not a pay-per-view draw. John Jones is. The UFC is. So it, it's a, an absolute, you know, it'd be like Metallica partnering up with the local garage band. <laughs> you know, like, like, yeah, you guys come, you know, do the, you know, play on stage with us or something. Like it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And like I said, they're not UFC is not in this for short term gains. Like it's everything, even if I don't care if John goes out there and absolutely wipes the floor with Francis Ghana. Like I don't care if that's the result. You still spent millions of dollars promoting the PFL, an organization that uh while I do appreciate what they do and I do like the PFL, you know, they're they're doing their cards inside like casinos. And where there's like, you know, 500 seats in a, in a little theater room and, you know, and they're on ESPN two or, you know, like they're not, they're not like, they're not on the same level as the UFC building that doing a co-promotion puts them on the same level. And it's one fight. Like what, what do you gain? It'd be like if, if, uh, if Conor McGregor fought like the local LFA champion or something, (laughs) you know, like, like now that dude makes millions of dollars because of connor right everybody knows who he is now because of connor it doesn't make any sense at all so yeah uh it's a silly question and i think that journalist kind of you know he didn't even he didn't make a good case for it either because he could have kind of i don't know who that journalist was but he kind of shriveled up i think you know dana um is obviously like very good with media and knows how to speak to them well and the guy kind of shriveled up a little bit it's you know, he didn't really uh, make the case for making that fight. Yeah, I mean, you could try to make the case and say that it's the best heavyweight fight you could make, the number one, yeah. you know, the number one heavyweight in the world. And it's a fight the fans all want to see, and that's the argument I keep getting from people online and saying it's the fight the fans want to see. Well, yeah, they do want to see it, but guess what? They'll also want to see Stipe and John Jones. They'll also want right. to see Stipe or John Jones and Tom Aspinall or Tom Aspinall and Cyril Gaon. You know what I mean? Like that's the PFL. There's always, a, there's always another star. There's always yeah. more great, bit, huge fights to make. The PFL has Francis Ngannou and who to fight him? Who? It's a problem. <laughs> they it's have nobody. Problem. They have nobody. They have no one to fight him. None. They have problem. no one. Like I had this conversation I'm with, I'm wondering if they bring over Deontay Wilder is talking about doing MMA. Yeah. That's what PFL needs to shoot for. If, if Deontay Wilder wants to do MMA, come fight Francis in PFL. 
Yeah, and that, let's be honest, that's not really a compelling fight either. I mean, that's just because of name value, because of Deontay Wilder. It's not because we actually think he has a well, tremendous... Well, it's not compelling to us, but we know how these gimmick fights go. Jake yeah. Paul and Nate Diaz wasn't compelling to me either. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is like, that that whole situation is the PFL has everything to gain and the UFC has basically nothing to gain. Like, yeah, are there going to be fans being like, oh, wow, they're co-promoting, they're making a fight we all want to see? Sure. But guess what? They do 13 pay-per-views a year with people with fights people want to see. They That's sell correct. record, they sell out, they sell out arenas constantly. They sell out record revenues and pay-per-views. They got a TV deal coming up next year. Do you think they really give a shit about one fight? Like that's gonna make or break them. It may make or break the PFL. You know, like PFL may put every they put everything into Francis. They have no one for him to fight. Like I was having this conversation with Daniel Cormier before and I said, Who's he gonna fight? Ryan Bader? Like I like Ryan Bader. This is not a knock on Ryan Bader. But that's the biggest name they could promote right now. Ryan Bader is the biggest name available in the heavyweight division that could fight Francis Ngannou right now. And are you excited to see Ryan Bader fight Francis Ngannou, Matt? Are you chalking down $70 to pay for that pay-per-view? No, I'm not paying $70, <laughs> but I would actually like to see the fight personally, but you know, again, when you get to that level, it's like a Connor or John Jones or GSP, you know, when you're at that level where he just fought Tyson, you know, it's about star power, right? You got, you got to have the skills, but you also got to have the star power. That's just all there is to it. You have to have the drawing power. But I would argue Francis doesn't have that drawing power. That yeah, well, that's what I'm saying, but he needs a, a B side with yeah. drawing power. Yeah. He like, I love, I always, always want to, have to justify my comment when I say this, but like, I love Francis. I root for Francis. I'm so happy that he got paid a big bag of money and then basically beat Tyson Fury. I think he beat Tyson Fury. Um, but the reality is his biggest fight card in the UFC, he I think got 325,000 pay-per-view buys when he fought Stipe the second time. That Tyson Fury card did not do well. And I understand that. A lot of people, no one gave him a chance. So I'm sure there's a lot of people who are like, I'm not going to plop down $80 or $60 or whatever it was to watch a squash match. Well, it didn't turn in that way, but that's what everyone assumed it was going to be, you and I included. Um and there's no one for him to fight, like, free agent. Heavyweight's not a great division anyways. Like, they're going to sign Junior Dos Santos and do that fight? They're going to sign Fabricio Verdum at 44, have throw him in there? Are people really going to plunk? And they're also, that's the other thing about this, Matt. They're not just putting Francis on a show. They're putting him on a pay-per-view. They're, they're expecting people to plunk down $50, $60, $70 to pay to see it. Well, as you said, there's got to be a B-side because – Francis versus random heavyweight guy who's going to get absolutely torched inside 30 seconds is not going to make me want to put down $60. Yeah, and that's not a B side. That's a D side (laughs) or an F side or some shit, you know. And, you know, it sucks, too, because, um, you know, just I don't know if it's just the world we live in this age. I don't know if it's always been this way, but the – you know, these guys like Francis should be a fucking star, man. He's the he should. baddest man on the planet right now. Maybe John Jones is maybe Fran- we don't know which one is, but one of those two is the baddest guy walking on this fucking earth and no one gives a shit about him. Yeah, I, I listen. If I could tell people this is the guy you should watch, put your money on. Absolutely. I would say that. But the reality is, is that's just not how the sport works. You know what no, I mean? Like no, more people are going to pay to watch Jake Paul than to watch Francis. Yeah, and I'm not saying that's right. I certainly don't think it is. But 
that's the way of the world, man. Like, and that's what you yeah. talked about earlier with the entertainment factor. Like when you talk about Jelton Almeida, like the UFC is about entertaining fights. Like that's what happened last night. Alex Pereira had one win in the light heavyweight division, but guess what? He's an entertaining motherfucker. And so they're like, we're going to put him in there. It's a great story. And what do you do? He goes out there and knocks out Yuri Prashka. Um, Sergey Pavlovich, you know, like he wasn't a big name, but he's a big performer. He goes out there and knocks people the hell out. People, they love stars. Like I said, that's that's the reality. So Conor McGregor is on the worst streak of his life right now. He's like one in three in his last four. And he's barely fought over the last like three years. But does that matter? No. He's a freaking star. Probably, and he's probably about to headline UFC 300. <laughs> exactly. And that's yeah, why he's, he's a star. And and there's no rhyme or reason to it. Like, I wish I could tell you why, why, why one guy becomes a star and the other guy doesn't. Like, I, there's some people who have become absolutely massive stars and looking at them from the outside, looking at looking at their rise, I'm like, I don't totally get it. But whatever gets like, I didn't totally understand the Sean O'Malley thing when he became a big star. Like, I was like, all right, like he's a colorful dude and like, you know, whatever. But it's not like I was like, man, this guy's just got such a magnetic personality and he really knows yeah. how to talk trash. Like I didn't he didn't strike me that way, but he is. And when he when he talks now, people listen. And I'm, again, I'm all for it. like good for him. I like Sean O'Malley. But, like, when he became a star, my immediate reaction was, like, really? This guy? Okay. Like, you know, like, to me, Aljamain. Like, Aljamain should have been a star. Like, Aljamain was so talented and such a world-class fighter and well-spoken and really good interview and all these kinds of things. That guy should be a star. No one gave a shit. Like, no one, you know what I mean? Like, that's just – so I can't predict these things, and that's the same thing with – you know, where they're at right now with Francis. Like, I can't predict why people aren't into Francis and Gano in that way, like, to where they're wanting to plunk down money. I get it. Like, and as you well, said, there's got, there's got to be a B-side now. And until he becomes a star, he, he needs a B-side. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, you know, the, the rhyme and the reason is because people are dumb. <laughs> I mean, you know, Miley Cyrus and Britney Spears and Taylor Swift are the biggest stars in America. You know, like people are dumb, bro. <laughs> <laughs> we can sum it up all the rhymes and the reasons right there. Like people are dumb and they are drawn to even dumber things. Before Zoom info, business wins took a lot of time, energy and patience. But today, Zoom Info aligns your sales and marketing teams, identifies ideal customers faster, and automates your go-to-market strategy. So you can scale up and get on the fast track to marketplace domination. And that's how winners win. Unlock insights, engage customers, win faster at zoominfo.com. Zoom Info, how business goes to market. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Dude, don't 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 bring out the Swifty army, man. They will come for your throat. You oh, think you, let's bring out the Swifty army. You think you had a bad? You think Kelsey's ass? You think you had a bad? You think you had a bad? Miley Cyrus, the Swifties will come for your throat, man. Let me tell you. I love it, bro. I'm all. I'm here for it, dude. Uh, they will. They will absolutely. I, you know. I. I mean, it is what it but, is. I don't really care. Well, to be fair, I kind of like Taylor Swift though. She seems like a really good person, and she's pretty. Miley Cyrus just isn't that pretty to me. I'm just like, I don't, I don't get 
that's the one I don't get the star power. I don't understand how she's she can't sing that well and she's not very pretty. And she says like the most god awful cringe things ever. <laughs> Taylor Swift is like well put together, like she sings well, she performs. She's really, really a good performer. I mean, obviously a lot of production and stuff, but yeah, like she's a good songwriter. She writes a lot of her own songs. Like I see the talent there. Yeah. And you know, Travis Kelsey's probably a cool dude, you know? I mean, he's from Cincinnati. Went to college, University of Cincinnati. That's where he went to yeah, school. There you so. go. You know, he's an Ohio boy from around. He's from around Cleveland, but he went to college at the university. My my alma mater, Matt, University of Cincinnati. There so. you go. There you go. See, he's a cool dude. You know. Yeah, I actually weirdly like I I I actually I'm I'm not like a fan necessarily, but I like Taylor Swift. Like she doesn't bother me. Her music doesn't bother me. Like there's I mean, actually yeah. there there are, I'm not I'm not gonna lie. There's a couple Taylor Swift songs that are catchy, Matt. I can't lie about that. Like they are catchy. Oh, you uh, a Swifty? Huh, I, I, they're not bad. <laughs> There, there's a couple songs that do catch your ear a little bit. Here's one thing I want to say, though. Dude, can, can you please send me this clip so I can post it all over <laughs> social media? It's not bad, man. It's not, Listen, dude, I go all over the map, man, with what I listen to. I got no problem with that, but I, I appreciate it. Like, you I, listen to Miley? Uh, a little bit. I know a couple of her songs. And oh, I'm my not, God, dude. I didn't, say I, li- I, didn't, I didn't say I liked it. I just said I know a couple of her songs. I didn't say I liked <laughs> it. I said I know a couple of her songs. I know a lot of songs. That doesn't mean I like it. Trust me. Oh man, I'm very disappointed in you, Damon. I know, I know Drake songs, and I'd rather get hit in the head with a tack hammer than listen to that again. So you know, it's like you know, there's lots of stuff out there that I know doesn't mean I like it. <laughs> Fair enough. <All> right. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah, you know the the I don't even know where how the hell we got into this situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said you didn't understand you didn't understand why people are into Taylor Swift and Miley Cyrus. But oh, yeah, well, because people, yeah, people are fucking dumb, bro. <laughs> you know, like if people were intelligent, like wouldn't like Beethoven and Mozart and shit be more, you know, commonly listened to or or even, you know, like Yngwie Malmsteen or something. Right. Like like wouldn't this shit be more popular or, you know, like decent TV shows and stuff like like people are fucking dumb, bro. Well, listen, there's I guarantee you there's people who are listening to this and, and who would say when I like what concerts have you been to recently? And I said I went to a Slayer concert. They'd be like, that's just noise to them. So, you know, well, everyone's got I, their. I, I get that. I understand why people think metal is, is just noise, right? Like it's, it, you know, there is a barrier to entry for metal, right? Like they, I, I get that. But okay. Well, I guess we were going to get into it. Anyway, you said you had a surprise for yourself. I did. I did. Like, so dude, this is how dumb people are. <laughs> they cheer a fucking president. What? <laughs> and it could be. It could have been Trump. Could have been Biden, Bush, Obama. I don't give a fuck. Like you're going to cheer this cocksucker <laughs> who doesn't give the slightest fuck for you and stole all your money for the the however many years he was in office and dropped bombs on people around the world. And you're going to cheer this motherfucker on. <laughs> See, here's where I'm going to build a bridge. Here's where I'm going to build a bridge, Matt, because we don't discuss politics on this show for good reason. There was once upon a time, years ago, we got off on a tangent on our old podcast, and we ended up talking politics. your fault, by the way. It it was, because I got fired up, and we started going at it, and it was like an hour-long conversation. We got done. We're like, yeah, we shouldn't have started that one. Um, So I'm not going to turn this into political debate. I'm not going to say you should or should not like whoever you like. I don't care. Whatever. I'm an, I'm here to build bridges, Matt. I'm here to make common ground, which is something, sadly, 
we don't have a lot of in this country anymore. There's really no common ground anymore. People are just too like black and white. You know, it's got to be my way or the highway. So here's something I'm going to build bridges for what happened last night. When they walked in, it was Donald Trump and whatever, a couple people. Kid Rock was there. Kid Rock was there with Dana and Trump and all the other people. Here's the, my building bridges. Can we all agree? Here's how I do. We can all agree on this, Matt. Kid Rock's music fucking sucks. Uh, I knew there's you were going to say that. There's my building bridges. Everyone can agree that Kid Rock sucks as a musician, right? Like, we can all agree on that. Like, I don't care what his politics are. I don't care what he believes in. I don't care who he hangs out with. None of that bothers me. I don't care. <laughs> we should all be able to agree that Kid Rock sucks. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna have to agree to disagree on this. Oh, one. no. You're already burning my bridge I'm trying to build here. <laughs> I'm, I'm fucking... I'm stopping the antenna poles on the bridge right now. <laughs> like, stop the construction. Because... <laughs> I mean, I'm not a Kid Rock fan, necessarily. But, bro, he's got some good songs. Dude, I would, I would rather listen to Taylor Swift from now until doomsday than ever hear Kid Rock again. Well... <laughs> That's where me and you, we build bridges, usually through music, actually. We we do. A lot of the same musical taste. We do. We veer very far on this one. I'm shocked you like Kid Rock. I am shocked. I wouldn't say, I was like, I'm not jamming out to Ba with a Ba in my car, you know? Like, I'm not cranking it up with the windows down and shit. Um, But if I hear it on the radio, I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. Like, it's good songs, man. Oh man, you dude, you should start start listening to Taylor Swift because you need to get out of this Kid Rock is good thing. That's not like no, there's just not there's nothing good about good songs, bro. The um the one he did with Cheryl Crow, that was a good song. I mean, no, but I mean, I guess everyone's got oh. their own thing. No, I don't. I just that wasn't he's, a good song either. No, he can't sing. He's not a talented singer at all. He, he's not a very talented <laughs> singer. I'll give you that. And he takes Metallica songs and just does horrific remakes of them when he does the American Badass or whatever. And he uses a Metallica song and he just starts shouting over it. Oh, it's so bad. Dude, it sounded it's like, like a, they sound like a WWE walkout music, though. It does. And that's fine. But yeah, I just I man, I can't believe you actually argue with me on Kid Rock is good. Dude, I thought we'd all, I thought we'd all, listen, again, your political affiliation aside, your political, your political affiliation aside, we should all be, it was like your opinion of Papa Roach back in the day. We should all be able to agree on these things, Matt. (laughs) Hey, hey, we we can agree on that. Papa Roach sucks. uh, (laughs) (laughs) We can, we can just stick with that one. But um, I forget, dude, see, it, it just doesn't. I don't know. Kid Rock is, you got to find good. <laughs> of course, music is extremely subjective, right? Like, like even, you know, Taylor Swift, Miley Cyrus, all, uh, all these pop stars, whatever, like it's all the, the same shit, right? They use um, the same chord progressions. You know, it's usually like three chords and usually like the first, the fourth and the sixth or something like that. You know, it's like very common chord progressions. So it's it gets very subjective. But then you get the outliers, like the kid rocks. And you, either you find it interesting or you don't. Yeah, I'd rather take a cast iron skillet to the face than listen to kid rock. So 
that dude, but, his music. But you, you would you would choose Taylor Swift over Kid Rock. Here's why. Here's why. I may not be a big Swifty myself. While I do say she has a couple catchy songs, here's why I would say it's different. One thing you can't deny about Taylor Swift is she is talented. She writes all her own songs, oh, yeah. plays very piano. Talented. She's very talented. Kid Rock is not talented. <laughs> He's not. What does he do? Did he make some? Did he make a couple hit songs? Sure, he made some songs. But listen, I mean, the Macarena. The Macarena was that, a hit song at one point. You know, like I will agree. Taylor Swift is more talented than Kid Rock. Yeah, but Kid Rock, come on now, dude. Like he just. He's, he's, I, I he's agree. A, she is more talented, but yeah, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> we're, I guess we're at a crossroads on this. You're one. really, you're really, you're, you're, you're starting to regret it, aren't you? You're like, I'm defending Kid Rock right now. This is maybe not the road I want to go down. Well, like, I'm trying to be careful, like not to defend <laughs> it too much, because I, I don't want to act like I'm some big Kid Rock fan or anything, or like, like I actually give a fuck about Kid Rock, but, but. <laughs> It's like it's still better than like most pop music. I mean, again, like there's grades to this, right? Like you know, I mean, would I like? I there's not much I would want to listen to less than Kid Rock, but I'm sure there's stuff out there. I'm sure there's a lot. I'm sure there's stuff out there that I would like to listen to less than Kid Rock. But uh, like the wheels on the bus. <laughs> but if you if you had a gun to my head and you're saying, would you listen rather listen to Kid Rock or this? Chances are, I'm probably going to pick the other thing. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I just it's terrible, it's so bad, it's so bad. And yeah, he's not, he's not a good singer, he's not a good guitar player. There's nothing about him that's good, Matt. Nothing, yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna claim it's good, I'm not, I'm not gonna go that far. I won't say it's good, but most pop music is, is fucking horrid, and, and not in terms of talent, but in terms of soul and production and, and, I mean, whether production is good, but like soul and um, like it's it's musical, right? It has musicality, it has fucking melody, but there's no art behind it. There's no soul. There's no that. I mean, well, that's it. There's no art and soul behind it, bro. I mean, listen, you're not gonna. I'm like, I don't listen to. I I'm listen as much as I do listen to a lot of different things. Uh, I do tend to fall more into one category of like hard rock metal that t- that's more of what i listen to. that's conscious i go to stuff like that but i do enjoy other music like i love run the jewels one of my favorite groups you know things like that um yeah i don't listen to a lot of pop music but i can appreciate it like i can appreciate what it yeah. is like when i when i happen to come across a taylor swift song and it's playing i can hear the talent like i it's not my bag and that's okay because i'm sure there's people who who would hear me saying, yeah, I went and saw Motionless and White in a couple weeks ago, and they're like, I would never go to a Motionless and White concert. That's fine. I got no problem with that. If you don't want to go to Knock Loose and, and Motionless and White concert and get screamed at for two hours, that's my thing. I get it. That's okay. Uh, but I can appreciate the talent. That's what I said. I can appreciate the talent yeah. that Taylor Swift possesses. I don't see a whole lot of that coming from Kid Rock is where I'm getting at. Like, okay, you want to say I feel that. You want to say it's catchy? Can, you want to say it's a little catchy? Okay, I'll give you that one maybe, but you can't sit here and okay. say it's like a talented dude okay i think we're probably closer in agreement do you think let me see if we can agree with this the actual best most talented soulful music out there it's gotta be blues uh i mean i'll that, agree most, but yeah i just i don't know a lot of blues i'll be honest like like it's not something i listen to on the regular like but like i was listening to joe bonamassa today he's coming to town soon right i was like i right, catch up on my bonamassa maybe i'll get to go to the concert 
but when you take it as a whole, as a, an art form that's soulful, improvised, coming from the heart, accessible to the most amount of people, it's got to be the blues. And am I, I, I took music appreciation in college for an easy credit when I was in college. Oh. Uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, blues is the original and only, like the original, like first ever American made music. Like we didn't get influenced and like, you know, taken from other places in the world or whatever. I think blues was like the first true American music form, if I'm not mistaken. That's, that sounds right. Yeah, because it came from the deep south and yeah, tree and it's kind of a mix of like bluegrass and blues type of thing. Yeah, soul. Like, yeah, so I think it was. I think if I remember correctly, I think it was like the, it was considered the first like truly American music, like where we didn't you know take it from somebody else. Uh, Maybe know. that's why I feel that way because I'm a goddamn American. There you go. Speaking of non-Americans, uh, yeah. two non-Americans fought. Yeah, back to MMA. Two non-Americans fought in the main event last night for the light heavyweight title. Alex Pereira knocks out Yuri Prashka. Now, I'm just going to tell you to go on this one, Max. I already know you want to react to this. Now, to be fair, Yuri Prashka has come out afterwards and said he has no problem with the stoppage. I was out, and if it wasn't out, it was a couple punches away from being out. He actually says, I'm cool with it. I got no problem with this. Rarity, where the fighter who got beat is, like, not complaining. He's like, you know what? I was done. It's cool. And Alex Pereira, of course, says that. Now, I know you, Matt. I would assume you would prefer Yuri, you know, get knocked the fuck out before you actually stop a fight. 100%. But what did you what did you think of the stoppage? Yeah, it was definitely early. I don't think there's any question about that, especially at this level and especially at the championship level. Not that there should necessarily be a difference, but um, there should be a difference between, like, amateur um, and then pro, right? But... Um, at that level, uh, you, you know, it was certainly early. And I think, personally, I think that's Yuri's um, humility coming out of him. You know, I don't think, I think if it was like the worst stoppage in the world, I, I don't think you'd see him complain. You know, he might say something about it, but, you know, I don't think you'd hear him complain about it. I think he's just that kind of guy. He's got the samurai spirit uh, deep running in his blood. So, um, you know, I don't think you're going to hear from him any real complaints or anything. And I have a lot of respect for him for um, carrying himself that way. Um, but the ref, you just got to let it go, man. Like, like this is what we do for a living and, you know, let give the guy a chance. We've seen some insane comebacks and, and to be fair to the referees, like it is very subjective. You got a split second to make a decision. Um, so it's kind of hard to compare like one fight to another, you know, there's certain things that they're looking for and, um, they got a split second to change a fighter's entire career right there. So, you know, it is very difficult situation that they're in, but it was early and I yeah. don't think he would have got out either, by the way, I think that Alex would have, uh, finished, you know, and, and Yuri probably would have taken more punishment. Uh, I do think that would have happened. Um, but I'd rather see him take that punishment and go out uh, properly on a sword or a shield. Yeah. I would say where we agree on this subject a lot is that I, I typically lean towards you. I know you have more of that warrior mentality and the fighter mentality where you're like, just let me be done, like completely done before you stop a fight. Now I may stop at one shade before that, 
But I agree here. That was an early stoppage. And I think Mark Goddard's an incredible referee. Like, he's a, he's a top-notch referee. I think he just pulled the trigger quickly after he saw Yuri kind of go limp a little bit from the elbows, and then he got thrown down in the mountain. He just stopped, and he should at least let him take a few more shots to see if he has a chance to recover and get out of there because we have seen it. Um, and I know I agree with you. Like, every fight should be treated the same. I get it. But we all have that feeling when it's a title fight. Like, it's a big moment. you got to give that guy every opportunity to get out of there and give him a chance because you know listen do we hope that like no one ever takes extra damage of course we never want to see someone take like a just undue amount of damage but a couple extra punches in that moment are not gonna it's not gonna make you know it's gonna be the difference between what we're talking about right now and alex just having an emphatic victory right like yeah or it could be the difference between yuri escaping and going on to win the fight too you know i mean so that's that's why it's a it's a very subjective thing in the moment. And, you know, Mark Goddard isn't known for doing that. Um, So again, I I do have sympathy for the referees in the position that they're in. It's a difficult situation. And, you know, especially when I'm sure that the refs learn about concussions and brain health and things like that. And that makes it complicated when you know, you know, this could affect the guy for the rest of his life negatively. Um, but also if you stop it too soon, uh, you know, I always go back to like the Neil Magny, Hector Lombard fight. Like you could have stopped that fight five or six, seven, eight times, you know, like so many times. And Neil goes on and wins, you know, yeah. because the ref was letting him fight. Uh, I mean, just an amazing uh, victory by Neil, right? Like he deserves all the respect in the world for that. Um, but it's just that those situations like that just, remind me that we never know what's going to happen. And we've seen it enough times now where guys come back from getting rocked and, and winning and, you know, right on the verge of, of getting knocked out or, you know, the fight being stopped and they come back and win. Yeah, I agree totally with what you're saying, especially in this case. Like, I think Alex would have finished him either way. Like, I think he would have won. I don't think that, I don't think this, um, I don't think this like negates his win or, 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 you know, puts like, you know, like it puts a negative spin on his win. I think he would have won anyways, but I would have just liked to let it seem till the conclusion, like let it go to the point where it's really over. Um, I don't think it's like a huge, huge deal in this one, especially because as you said, Yuri is doing the samurai thing and saying that like, you know, I, I'm okay with the stoppage. And I agree. He's probably just taking the high road here and not trying to cry over spilled milk or whatever and trying to play the, mar- you know, be the martial artist, you know, be the honorable martial artist and say, Hey, I lost, you know, let's move on. And I appreciate that about him, but guess what? We weren't in that fight, man. We can say that it was early. It was an early stoppage. Right, right. Um, but it, also it, 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 if I go back to that, uh, Lombard Magni, um, comparison, that I'm talking about, I, I don't remember the fight th- that well, but I've watched it more than once. And there are times in that fight, specifically that when there's a bunch of other examples we could come up with where if they stopped the fight, we would have been sitting here saying the same thing. Like, like, yeah, he, you know, he probably would have finished him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like we would have been, you know, saying, yeah, it wasn't a bad stoppage and, you know, it was early, but you know, we, we would have liked to see it go to conclusion, right? We would have been saying those exact same things. And we could think of so many fights like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the reality. Like I said, you got to give a guy or girl for that matter, give them a chance to, to get out of it. And again, we can sit here and say, like we both believe Alex would have ultimately won. Maybe it was two or three more punches and it would have been over anyways, but 
You got to let those two or three punches happen. Because you never yeah, know. Maybe maybe there's this long one in a million shot that Yuri somehow slips out and gets a heel hook. It's happened. It can happen. And only, you know? and only in this sport do one in a million shots happen. <laughs> Ten in a million, you know, or a hundred well, yeah, in a I million mean, times, right? Absolutely. Like I said, that's the whole point. Like this is the most unpredictable sport on earth. Uh, you can't, you know, you can't not give him that chance. You can't at least give him that opportunity to escape and maybe he can do something again. We can sit here and say all day, we don't think he would have, but that's the point of the sport. You never truly know. That's exactly. That's why we love the sport. Yeah. So let him go out, let him go out on his shield, uh, you know, and be done with it that way. That being said, I do want to say, man, Alex prayer. Holy shit, man. This guy, 11 fights into his career, seven fights in the UFC is a two division champion. I mean, it is unbelievable. Yeah. What can you say about that? I mean, you, you said it perfect. I mean, this guy is just on cloud nine and he's just doing all the right things and putting it together so well. And you know, I'm, I'm, I just, I just can't wait to keep watching him. You know, I don't know how long he's going to be able to hold this up for. I think there's kind of this whole elephant in the room where we keep thinking like, when is he going to get exposed? Right. <laughs> yeah. And he just keeps not letting it happen. Yeah. It's remarkable. And I know we say all the time, like we talk about when we talk about Henry Cejudo, we say he's one of the greatest combat sports athletes of all time, because when you tack on what he did in wrestling as a gold medalist, which is a combat sport, in my opinion, uh, and two division champion in the UFC. That's a that's an incredible accomplishment. Now, would I call Henry Sue the greatest mixed martial artist of all time? No, because he didn't go on and he doesn't have the longevity of John Jones or Demetrius Johnson or George St. Pierre, those kind of things. But when you when you encapsulate his entire athletic career, he's one of the greatest combat sports athletes of all time. Are we crazy and thinking that Alex Perez got to start getting mentioned in that same conversation? Two division glory champion, third ever glory Hall of Famer, and now he's a two division champion in the UFC, 11 fights into his MMA career. Again, I'm not saying he's the greatest MMA fighter, but can we not put him in that conversation, the greatest combat sports athletes? I mean, to do that in kickboxing and come over and do this in MMA, that's, in, that's insane. No doubt about it, period. I have nothing more to say about it. He is absolutely <laughs> in the top five greatest combat sports athletes of all time. Yeah. I mean, it's just so rare, right? Like it's one thing to find like to be a kickboxer. He was a two time, two division champion kickboxer. And then he comes over and does the same exact thing in MMA. That's fucking ridiculous, bro. That's so ridiculous that he's done this. And somebody tweeted earlier and I, 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 I couldn't agree more. This is what we thought Gokan Saki was going to do. Right. <laughs> That's what we thought. And yeah, it turned out exactly the opposite, but man, Alex Pereira is just, you can't say enough good things about him, man. And he's carrying himself the right way. He's just, he's doing the interviews the right way. He's calling out the right guys. He's doing just every single thing he's doing. He's taking all the right steps. He deserves everything that he gets. What do you real quick before you get out of here? What did you think it was call out? The Adesanya call out good, bad, don't care. What'd you think? Perfect. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, he's at 205 now. Uh, I assume he's probably going to stay there. Probably won't fight Adesanya next. But, you know, for the interview itself, like we're talking about it right now, right? Like yeah. that's that's what the interview's for. You know, whether you get the call out or not, I guess is, you know, whether you really want it is is kind of secondary. Um, but look, he's he made noise with it. And yeah. that's what stars do. 
Yeah, he said it was his last week's come to daddy Adesanya. That was pretty good. Like, that was pretty funny. And Adesanya, Adesanya, you know, saying he's living his head rent free. Uh, it's a great rivalry. And I have, like, I, and generally speaking, I'd have no problem if they reignite it. Like, obviously, Israel's not the champ right now at middleweight. And it would be weird for him to get beat by Sean Strickland and go in and fight for the light heavyweight title. But you could argue it was weird for Alex Pereira to win three fights and get a middleweight title shot with his biggest win being over Sean Strickland at the time. So, Sometimes rivalries supersede what actually makes sense. In this particular case, though, Matt, I would disagree and say that it should happen because Jamal Hill is out there. He's going to come back early next year. You got to do that fight. Like, you know, he went out like when the UFC needed him to step up when Yuri got hurt and he had to step in and fight Glover. He did. He beat the brakes off Glover Teixeira. He became champion. Of course, sadly, he tore his Achilles, but he's the guy. You got to do that fight. I mean, listen, and maybe Alex beats him, and then you really can do the Adesanya fight, but it's got to be Jamal Hill first. Like, it's not like he did anything wrong. He got hurt, and he gave up his title. He did the right thing. He did the same thing the year he did. Like, I'm not going to hold up the division. I'm not going to, you know, make you fight for an interim and wait for me to come back. He gave up the title. He deserves it. Like, you got to give him the shot when he comes back. And then the Adesanya, here's the thing about the Adesanya fight. The Adesanya fight supersedes titles at this point. Like, that's what we were talking about with Jones and Stipe. Like, Jones and Stipe are going to fight for a UFC heavyweight title, but it doesn't really matter in that fight. Like, it's John Jones versus Stipe Miocic. Five rounds main event, that's all that really matters. Like, we're not really that concerned about the title. Adesanya Pereira is kind of becoming that now where they're just two guys who have a great rivalry. Are we really going to cry that there's not a title in life? It's a five round main event on pay-per-view. I don't really care that much. So let Jamal Hill come fight him. And I think Jamal Hill's, you know, I think he's the real deal, man. He may go out there and knock out Pereira. He's that good. Uh, and then just do Pereira Adesanya at that point at 205 or do a catchway to 195. I don't give a shit. Like, it's just a great fight. I don't need a, a title doesn't need to be on the line to raise the stakes of that fight. That's it. And, when you look at all the greatest champions in history, almost all of them have had a great rival. That's just one of those things that makes combat sports so great is when someone has a great rival that just um, elevates both of them. And, you know, you go back to like Ali Frazier, um, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran. Um, you know, you could go on for Hagler hours. Hearns. That's another one. Hagler Hearns. Um, Dottie Ward, <laughs> I mean, there's so many of them, right? Um, you know, even in our sport, you know, um, like Connor didn't really get um, completely superstardom until he had Aldo, right? Now no. they didn't fight more than once, but I wish that they would have. I think that would have been a great rivalry too. Um, but yeah, having that rival, I think elevates even more. And, and that was what elevated the first two fights that they had. Particularly yeah, I mean, the second one. And I think if they do a third one, I think it's huge. And I agree. I think they do it at 195. Neither of them has to cut as much weight. It's not for a title. Bring Adesanya back, do it at 195, and let's make it a one off. Yeah, and that, because there's a, there's a real world where Jamal Hill goes on beats Alex Pereira. I mean, let's just be there honest. Is. Like that is a that is a realistic possibility because Jamal. I'm a big Jamal Hill believer. I think that dude's a monster. Uh, there's a real world where he beats Alex Pereira. You know what I mean? But again, like I'm saying, like let him come back and fight. He deserves it. I know we always say don't say deserves. That's the word we should never mention. But in this case, I think everyone agrees. Like he did the right thing. He gave up the belt. He's injured. You got to give him the shot when he comes back. Like you got to give him the well, chance. I think to that win. is a great fight too, Jamal Hill and Alex Pereira. Holy shit! 
that that's is an explosive a, fight. That is that is a barn burner right there. That yes. is guaranteed fireworks right there. And that's Alex Pereira has nothing but big things ahead of him now, especially if he keeps winning. I mean, if, which is I guess any champion, right? If they keep winning, but you know this guy has the world. The sky's the limit in front of him right now. He has the world at his fingertips. Like he can do a lot of things right now. But again, that Jamal Hill fight, great fight. I would I would be super excited to see that one. You know what I mean? And and we can still do the Adesanya one down the road. I'd like to see Adesanya. Like I, I know it doesn't really I know it doesn't really matter, but I would like to see him come back and get a win just to like make sure like that was just a one off bad night at the office with Sean Strickland. Like whatever you know what I mean and then and then book it again because it's you know I, I feel like we'd be because if, if he had beaten Strickland and was still champion like then I think there's a real world where he jumps into a 205 pound title shot right now like there's a real yeah, world yeah. where Adesanya just goes in and does it and now he has a chance to become a two division champ again it's harder to sell it right now even though I think it's a great fight it's a rivalry all those things it's a little harder to sell with him coming off that loss to Sean Strickland to let him go in and jump jamal hill for the title you know what i mean like that's a what's, little... uh, what's jamal hill's timeline for return when i interviewed him before the fight he said second quarter 2024 so that's you know we're talking like april may june in that range so it's not that far away and i don't think prayer is going to fight again in freaking march like they already have the first three cards the next year mapped out we got the strickland duplessis card we got Ilya Taporia and Alexander Volkanovsky with O'Malley and Cheeto. That's all the way through March. And then April's UFC 300, which we know is probably going to be Connor. Um, he probably won't. If he fights on any of those cards, it would be UFC 300 and be the co-main event to Connor. But otherwise, it's probably going to be May or June. And that would be the time when Jamal would be back anyways. Gotcha. And because what would be most tremendous thing here is if Adesanya comes back, beats Strickland, Alex Pereira beats Jamal Hill, and then they meet at 195 for the actual BMF title. I like that. I like that a lot. That'd be great. But again, who knows? I mean, maybe, like I said, they're trying to sell UFC 300, make it the biggest card ever. Could you imagine Connor versus Chandler and Adesanya versus Pereira 3 is like the two main, two main fights? Yeah, they, 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 yeah. They, they're, they're going to have a lot of options by that time. That's for sure. It's going to yeah. be... A, Huge card. I'm hoping that I get on it. I think you should. I've said before, I think it should be you and Jim Miller fighting on that card. I think that would be the best fight we could make on UFC 300. So I'm going to shoot for it. Who knows? Yeah, but there's other matchups too. I mean, I don't want to just like single out Paul Felder's coming back. I think you and Paul Felder would be fun. Yeah, hey, I'm I'm ready to fight, bro. Yeah, so there's all kinds of options. We'll see what happens. UFC 300, though, I like that idea. Uh, it's a historic card. We need the guys who made history on there. So you need to be on there. Put Derek Lewis on there. Let him get a fight at UFC 300. I think that'd be kind of cool. Put Jim Miller on there. He's fought at UFC 100 and 200. You got to let Jim Miller fight on there. Um, yeah, make it like that kind of card, dude. It's got that's a, that's the kind of card you just stack from top to bottom. Like it is like can't miss prelims, can't miss main card. Like you got to put everybody on that card. Well, I'm a can't miss fighter, so put me on there. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah, but you and Derek on there as you guys continue to compete for that all time knockout record because he's got he's got like one up idea. on you right now. You know, like I think that'd be cool. Not saying you have to fight Derek Lewis. I'm saying like you know you and him on the same car. I want to fight Derek Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Like that's the kind of history making card you got to have. UFC 300 is a big deal, man. Yeah, yeah, dude. I'm I'm all for it, man. I think it's going to be huge, and uh, I think it's going to be exciting. Like you said, there's so many great matchups, man. It's going to be. 300 I, UFCs, man. It's hard to believe. 
I heard some people kind of complaining, like you can't you can't headline you can't headline that car with Connor because Connor's not a champion. Him and Chandler's not a champion. I was like, do you think the champions who would fight underneath that would give two shits about that? Because guess what, they're getting pay per view points. Do you think they're do you think they really care that they're the co main event to Connor McGregor if that thing sells? two million pay-per-view buys and they get a chunk of that it's like dude put me on the prelims as a champion if i'm gonna get pay-per-view points on a connor show dude i will absolutely take that all day like dude there was a time wasn't it tyron woodley who fought on a bunch of connor cards in a row or i think it was tyron and it's like yeah be smart dude because a shit if you're headlining dude if you're getting pay-per-view points on a connor card absolutely fight on that card who cares that you're the co-main event yeah yeah good call but that, that would be kind of that would be strange to have him fight on 300 as the main event and not have not be for a title. That would I do get where they're coming from on that. I do, I do, but like I said, I'm just thinking like big picture. Like you know, you're here. You know, everyone fights for something different, but you are still trying to make money and put food on your family's table. And if you're a champion and you're going to get a chunk of that pay per view. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, dude, I like me personally, like, I don't care. Like, you know, like, let me be the co-main event to Connor. Let him go out and sell it and let me get the seven figure payday afterwards. Um, that's me, though. Like I said, I'm just, you know, I'm greedy like that. I wouldn't give a shit. So, you know, that's me. But yeah, I do. I do understand. You know, you're a champion. You want to headline a card. And it's kind of weird that Connor is a non-champion and a lightweight, you know, would headline over Adesanya and Pereira. You know what I mean? Like, that would be right. odd. But also, right. Adesanya Pereira is a card that that could sell in and of it. So you don't need Connor to sell that card. Like obviously, Connor would make it that much bigger. But I'm saying, like Adesanya Pereira is a big fight. Yeah, maybe they even put it off a little bit and they wait for Adesanya Pereira to be ready, and maybe Jones and Stipe, and maybe Connor and Chandler. I mean, all kinds of possibilities. This, yeah, they can make it ridiculous. But you know, I could also see the UFC spreading those out too right you know because ufc 300 is going to be big no matter what right like yeah they they really only need a headliner and it's going to be big i feel so. like it's going to be connor it's got to be he's coming back the timing works out with his whole usada thing it's it's that it's connor chandler let's just go that's going to be the headliner for you unless something happens somebody gets injured or something it's going to be him and chandler at 300 like that's you know and I get it. It's a it's a historic fight. It's a big fight. Connor is the name. I mean, he is the face. So I don't care really. I mean, it's cool. Like you know, like when Connor fights, it's a big deal. So you know, and that's as big a deal as you can get for UFC 300 is Connor McGregor. So because remember, yeah, that, remember, an, he was good. That's certainly an exciting fight, but you know, just in terms of the matchup itself, just because more because of Chandler, honestly, because he's a wild man in there and he's so athletic and everything. But realistically, I mean there's so many fights that are more enticing to me for uh, the card like that. Oh, I don't, I don't, I, I just, I agree. I'm just saying like in terms of name value, in terms of selling pay-per-views, like that's, what's going to yeah, be. Yeah. Like no one a, that compares to Connor for that. Let's not, for, let's not forget. Connor was going to headline UFC 200. Remember that? Like he was going to fight Aldo and then that whole thing fell apart. He ended up fighting uh, Diaz at UFC 202 instead, but he was going to headline UFC 200. So that's already been out there. Like that was the original plan for that card. And then things changed and whatever happened. But yeah, so him headlining UFC 300 is kind of appropriate in a way. And the timing works out. And, you know, they already booked three. They're lining it up. They booked three championship fights to start the year to lead into UFC 300 when they got Connor. Like that's what they're banking on is Connor being back. So again, and I'm fine with that. You know, like it's cool. Like I've, you know, Connor's the name. He's the draw. It's cool. 
Yep, I'm I'm right there with you. Yep. Maybe he'll maybe he'll walk out to Taylor Swift and his opponent can walk out to Kid Rock and we can have a good old throwdown to walk out songs with those guys. Maybe that's what'll happen there. So you never know. Yeah, as long as I don't get one, I'm stuck in my head. <laughs> Hopefully I'll be backstage and I don't need those songs stuck in my head while I'm backstage trying to get ready. You already told me that one time the Lady Gaga got stuck in your head when you were getting ready for a fight. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not interested in having that situation again. (laughs) I'm going to tell next time you book a fight UFC tournament, I'm going to text Coleman in the back. I'm like, Coleman, for some Matt, don't tell Matt I told you this, but he said he really needs some Taylor Swift to warm up to. Can you play some Taylor Swift back there for him? I don't actually even know any Taylor Swift songs. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever even heard them. Dude, I guarantee if you heard one, you would know it because they're everywhere. Like, you would just be like, oh, yeah, I heard that, like, randomly walking by. Isn't your daughter into Taylor Swift? She's got to be into Taylor Swift. Yeah, but she don't play it at my house. Like that's the thing. I don't have an opportunity to listen to it. Like I'm at my house, my gym, my car. There's All no right, I'll tell you. Tell you right now. We talked about this before. You started golfing because your kids are into golf. You went to you started getting into football because your kids are into football. Three four years from now, daughter's a little older. You're going to take her to a Taylor Swift concert. I could just see it happening right now. You're going to be like, yeah, I went to this fucking Taylor Swift concert last night. It was a madhouse. Didn't you go to the Barbie movie? Didn't you go to that? No. Oh, I, I, I thought you said you did. We go to the Barbie movie. No, we went to uh, was the ice cream place. I took her there, and there was like 10 girls dressed up like Barbie movie uh. people. <laughs> I don't, I don't, they weren't dressed up like Barbie. I don't know what you'd call them, but they were all in some funny Barbie movie outfit. And I was like, what in the hell is, I didn't know. I never even heard of the Barbie movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what in the hell is going on? You are going to take her to a Taylor Swift concert in a few years. I'm telling you, right. It's dude. It's going to happen. It's I'm just, just go ahead and start planning the trip right now. You're going to take her to a, to a Taylor Swift show. Well, I need Slayer to do another <laughs> tour so I can take her there first. <laughs> Uh, yeah, get, 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 you gotta get. Hey, listen, dude. Hey, did you see? I don't know. I don't know how much pay attention to music stuff. Do you know who Megan The Stallion is a rapper? Mm-hmm. Do you know who she is? Did you see I she did a? Did, did you see she did a remix with Spirit Box, the metal band? Oh wow! Okay, dude, it's amazing. It's amazing. Okay. It's fucking awesome. It's so good because uh, Courtney Laplante, I think, is the lead singer's name of, of Spirit Box. They're amazing. I love Spirit Box. Yeah, they did a remix with Megan The Stallion. It's her rapping and them doing the singing. It's fucking awesome. I guess I will check it out. Yeah. Do you remember the old? Do you remember back in the day when we were kids? The uh, the Judgment Day soundtrack. Do you remember that Judgment Night? The Judgment Night soundtrack when it was all the rock bands who did it with rappers. Remember they had like House of Pain and uh, I can't remember who it was, but it was like all like it was like the first real iteration of like rock rap when it was like the rock bands playing music. Like Anthrax did a track with Run DMC or something like that. Like, do you remember that soundtrack? The Judgment oh, yeah. Night soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Maybe this is the restart of that with Megan Thee Stallion doing a song with Spirit Box. I, I I guess I'll check it out. I guess you talked me into it. Yeah. If you're listen, if you can give Kid Rock a chance, you can give this song a chance. I promise you it's worth your time. Okay. Okay. I'll <laughs> check it out. I'll check it out. But um I gotta think if I can I don't know, maybe Pantera for her first concert. Yeah, although it's not the real Pantera anymore though. Like it's not yeah, you know. but it's, it's still a Pantera. 
It is. It is. Dude, you know what you need to do? You know what you need to do? Go. I know you're not like a huge social media dude. Go on TikTok, man. There's a lot of metal bands that get like real hyped up on that. I love Bad Omens. Bad Omens is one of my favorite bands and they got huge on TikTok. Like they went massive on TikTok. When I saw them, when I saw them the first time, it was sold out, but it was a smaller arena. When I saw them this last time, it was at Kimba Live here in Columbus and it was sold out. Holy shit. It was so packed. It was like the most sold out show I've been to in a long time. Like I was like to the point where I was like elbowing people trying to find room. Oh, nice. Was it outside or inside? Outside. And I was down on the floor. Like I was down in like the pit area. So like I'm really battling for space down there. Uh, nice, it was so nice. crowded. But they, so they blow on. T- the only time I go on TikTok is I upload a lot of my guitar videos on there. Me playing. Okay. So I, yeah. but I've never actually scrolled through TikTok before. Do you should like? It's weird, like, because there is a lot of weird stuff on there. But like, music wise, like, I've discovered some bands on there. But there's some bands that have blown up. Bad Omens is the perfect example of that. Like, they got huge off TikTok. Uh, I, I don't, I don't even know how to do the searches on there or anything. Just you just literally scroll. You just press, swipe up and you scroll. And it basically it's like an algorithm, just like anything else. Like it'll show you. Like if you just swipe through something, don't pay attention to it. They'll bring you less of that. But if you stay and listen to like a Slayer video, then you'll notice when you start swiping, they'll they'll bring more Slayer videos and things like Slayer to you. So it's just an algorithm like that. Like you can search for things on there too. But if you watch something like you just like, oh, man, here's a uh, here's Bad Omens playing a live show. And it's like a three minute clip and you watch the whole clip. Your next within the next like six videos, you're going to see another Bad Omens video. They're going to bring you back to whatever you're actually watching. It's pretty it's it's a little scary how intuitive it is, but it works. Like I watch a lot of like I'm a big Bengals fan. I'm very sad today because the Bengals lost. Uh, but the Bengals like I watch a lot of Bengals stuff on there and constantly. I get bombarded with Bengals stuff because I watch Bengals stuff and then immediately I just get like a Bengals video like every fourth video. Uh, interesting are they reading your mind on there too that's what i'm saying it's a little it's a little intimidating what they're actually doing in terms of like the algorithm but yeah like it works and i enjoy it dude i'm not gonna lie like i think tiktok's my favorite social media platform right now like it's actually because it's actually fun like there's comedy clips and music and stuff and it's actually like kind of fun to go through it's like entertaining versus you know just photos or reading people talking shit on twitter Hmm. well maybe i'll check it out but if you ever want to check out my guitar shit on there, it's at I am the immortal. So there you go. See, you I don't stay t- up on it too much, but I, that, that's kind of what I opened my TikTok for was just to upload my um, guitar cover videos. Cause like my Instagram feed and Twitter and stuff, I try to keep it a little bit more on brand, you know, but yeah, I guess that's a little bit of my brand. I don't know. Well, you won't. My TikTok is all for horror movie shit, so I don't talk MMA over there either. My okay. hand, my handle, my handle on TikTok is Damon of the Dead. I'm all horror movies all right. over there, so I don't do any. T- I don't do any MMA over there either. It's all me talking horror movies. Um, so I'm in the same kind of the same boat as you. But yeah, dude, it's fun. It's like I said, I enjoy it. What's the last? Uh, what's the last song you learned on guitar? Um, actually, I just did a bass recently. I- put it on Instagram. You might've seen it where I did Thorazine shuffle by government mule. Oh yeah. I know government. mule. yeah, I think I did see that actually. Yeah. It's actually really hard, but I mean, I'm not a bass player. Like I just started playing around with it. It is like a completely new skills. So had to learn like finger picking, had to learn how you know, like you hold the strings different. Like my fingers were actually like getting tired from doing it. And like my calluses weren't built up the same. It was just very awkward, but uh, it was a lot of fun, man. And I've been playing around with the bass a lot lately. I'm going to start fucking around with some Primus and maybe some Flea and stuff. It's so much fun. Yeah. Are you uh, Are you coming up here in December to see uh, your boys, Meshuggah, down in Cincinnati? You going? 
I goddamn hope so. What's the Meshug- date on it? Uh, December 6th, Meshuggah and In Flames. Oh, I love In Flames, too. I'm um, going. I'm going. I, I'll, I'll be honest. I like Meshuggah. I'm mostly going for In Flames, though, because I love In Flames. Dude, I, um, I know the drummer. We can meet him. We can hang out with him. There you go, dude. See, there we go. It's down to Andrew J. Brady. Have you been to the Andrew, Andrew J. Brady Center down there in Cincinnati? I've never been to a concert in Cincinnati. But funny story, this is how I met In Flames, right? So they were playing with All That Remains at the Newport. And so I know uh, Phil from All That Remains. So he got us, you know, up on uh, uh, backstage, right? So me and a couple of my buddies were hanging out, you know, and it's a very, very, like, small backstage. It's yeah. not really a backstage. There's, there's room for, like, two or three people. My one guy, he was just drunker than hell. He said, <laughs> we're standing, like, behind the band or off to the side. And my guy was just so drunk. And he ended up falling out onto the stage. So oh the drummer God. stops and, and he's like, you know, yelling at security. He's like, get him the fuck out of here. And they looks over and he was like, Matt Brown. He's like, <laughs> you should stay up here. Get your guy out of here. Though. <laughs> so, so they ended up getting him out of there. And then uh, we connected after that. Yeah. So we've stayed friends ever since. I know that backstage area. I went there for a hate breed because I know Jamie Josta, obviously. And so I went yeah. there backstage for that. It is a really small area. Actually, so that was actually the concert. I got to meet uh, Howard Jones from uh, Kill Switch Engage and obviously his new band. Uh, uh, what is the new? Uh, why am I forgetting like the, the name? Torch. Of the, light the Torch. Uh, yeah. The devil you know is what it was called. And it changed to Light the Torch. Right. I am a huge Howard Jones. I love Howard. He's like my favorite metal singer. And so I, I met him backstage. I was I was actually outside with Jamie. And we we're just bullshitting. Howard comes over and I was like, oh, Howard. <laughs> that was so cool. So. Yeah, dude, so super. I don't get starstruck often. That's one time I got starstruck. So I was like, Howard fucking Jones, dude, this guy's awesome. So, uh, dude, yeah, let's go. Meshuggah and In Flames, dude, it's a good concert. That's a real good concert. Yeah, I'm I'm so, totally down. I love Meshuggah. They're one of my favorite bands in history. Yeah, that venue is really cool too. I saw um, uh, the uh, Trinity of Terror tour down there, which was in uh, Ice Nine Kills and Motionless and White and Black Veil Brides. I saw them down in Cincinnati last. September, I think, is when it was, but uh, maybe it was, I can't remember, it was a while ago, it was, like, it was last year, I think, or earlier this year, maybe it was early this year, but uh, it's a really cool venue, it's right by the Bengals Stadium, I actually parked in the Bengals, like, underground parking lot, and then you just walk up to the Andrew J. Brady Center, it's a really cool venue. Very cool, bro. So, all right, enough music talk, we talked about Kid Rock and fucking Taylor Swift, and now we're on In Flames, people are like, is this an MMA podcast? What are you guys talking about over here? Uh, Matt, where can people check out if they want to support you? Always, As, as always, want to give people the chance to uh, support the guy who does this show, so uh, where can people find more stuff that you got and uh, things that are supporting you? Well, the same as my TikTok, it is at I am the Immortal, Instagram and Twitter, at the Immortal Coffee on instagram and twitter hey it up there you go folks we appreciate you tuning in as always make sure you check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms apple podcast spotify and of course over on the best website in the world mmafighting.com for matt brown i'm damon martin we'll see you next week for another edition of the fighter versus the writer thanks for tuning in we'll see you then Businesses have always needed customers, so customer engagement has always been a thing. 
You know, steak dinners, golf, in-person handshakes. Not exactly efficient, though. But thanks to Zoom Info, times have changed. Now you can engage with the right customers across all channels and grow your business efficiently and effectively, all from one platform. Sorry, steak dinner guy. We've got work to do. Unlock insights, engage customers, win faster at ZoomInfo.com. ZoomInfo, how business goes to market.